Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. Bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens. Brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favorite things. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. Kevin, you're singing so soon. Happy Throwback Thursday. Happy Throwback Thursday, Roberto. I, first of all, I have to apologize. Well, not you. I would usually say we have to apologize, but this was all mine. So I want to take a picture. I'm uh, sorry. I just want to take a picture of you because you've got headphones on. You look so professional. I feel like so, we're in a recording studio. So, uh, <laughs> listeners, hold on. I'm posing for a photo. <laughs> I posed. Yay. Um, Listeners, I have I must apologize to you. Um, Kevin and I have been using the same soundboard and microphone for uh, about a year and a half now to do, the, to do this podcast, and uh, the uh, it's, it's it's a little unfortunate. We didn't realize that we bought the wrong equipment originally, um, but being <laughs> it's the a growing mi- process, it's a growing process. But mm-hmm. being the miser that I am, I'm like I'm not changing. And one of the things that we didn't we weren't able to do with the old soundboard was. Uh, change the levels of individual people. So it all got recorded onto one track. So if we had an, a guest who was quiet and we boosted their volume, everyone else's volume <coughs> got boosted. Yeah. Yes. So so we we are working we working hard. We bought a new soundboard. Huzzah! You're um, s- and Rob I have to tell you guys, Rob was beyond excited when he got this new um, soundboard. And wh- it's more it's portable so we can travel with it easier. Yes, so for for those of you who didn't know what we were using before, we were literally using a massive soundboard that fit into a suitcase <laughs> and it was heavy. It was about 30, 35 pounds and I live on a fifth floor walk up. So I would have to lug it down, lug it on the subway, Bless do this, do that, then lug it all the way back up. And Kevin was always nice. He'd always take the suitcase for me. But because of people like you who are helping us out by contributing to Patreon. Yes, thank um, you. Uh, and we were able to get new equipment. So I've got this new thing. I'm very excited by it. A shout out to the Focusrite people, which literally fits in a cute little tote bag from the Strand, uh, which is what I <laughs> carry it around it in is, now. It is and cute. I can now hear... I'm literally wearing headphones so I can I'll post hear. the picture. I just took a picture of Rob with his, his headphones on, his microphone, his computer open, his red new soundboard that he's so happy about. I can hear everything. And I feel like it's like the scene in The Miracle Worker. Do you know those... <laughs> 
Well, I thought you were um, going to tell the story of that clip of YouTube of the, of the of the production of the Miracle Worker where she falls off the stage. Oh, that's and my then keeps going. Favorite? Can we? Okay, so for our listeners, that's not your favorite thing, right? No, it's not my favorite thing. But I, okay. I'm definitely going to um, I'm going to make a note and <laughs> say you can post it for so, everybody because it's just so good. There's you you must have seen this at some point. If you haven't, please look it up. Um, it's they're doing a production of the Miracle Worker. It must be at a high school. The stage is really high off the ground, like abnormally high off the ground and the actress playing Helen Keller has her eyes closed which makes no sense I I, I think right because when you're blind you close your eyes yeah <laughs> do you that, that, that's that's that Omaha high school acting for you um and she's literally trying to feel around and she falls off the stage because her eyes are closed and she goes down and the audience is like oh, oh. <laughs> then like like fucking Mary Lou Redden like a gymnast she like Puts her hands back up on the lip of the stage, hoists herself back up, and continues with the play. But my yes, personal favorite of that whole thing is <laughs> it's the man who's walking out after she gets back on stage. And he's not rushing like, oh, my God, something's wrong. It's my daughter, yeah. It's kind of like, fuck this shit. What am I paying for? <laughs> this is amateur hour. When I go see the miracle worker oh, at the man. Woodrow Wilson Middle School, I expect quality. <laughs> And off he they goes. don't fall off the stage where I go. <laughs> well, we'll post that. Meanwhile, I'm writing with my fancy Michael Levine pen. Ooh, tell us about that, Kevin. So we, Rob and I went to Michael Levine, the uh, I would say sheet music archivist as well as vocal coach and music director. We're gonna we're um, gonna post his interview pretty soon. It'll be but before this. I think it'll probably it'll be probably before, yeah, this before this. But if you don't know really quickly, if you don't know who Michael is, you'll hear about it on our interview. Michael holds. He acts like he doesn't, but he does. Michael holds the largest private collection of musical theater sheet music in the world. Yeah. Um, so we went over to his house and like kids and candy stores. But Insane. after we finished our interview, what happened, Kevin? We got swag. He gave us, he was like, he gave us everything from a pen that lights up so you can take notes in the theater in the dark. He gave us another pen that's a little smaller than I'm using that has this little felt you know, place where you put your fingers. It feels very comfortable. Gave us a back scratcher. And all, and all with his name and email address. Yeah, so, oh, of course, naturally. Um, and, and a keychain. Oh, keychain with the flashlight. Yes, and so we were very excited to walk away from an interview with actual swag. I think the only other thing we've ever gotten was breakfast with Fravor, the, uh, the, the graphic artist for hey, all of the posters. If you go back to our interview with Frank Fravor, Frank Verlitz, so it's like episode 8 or 13 or somewhere yeah. around there, who has designed so many posters in his career. The Lion King, that literally is his. The, yeah. the logo of, like, of the musical, you know, what you see on all the subways. It's Fravor. Yeah, that's, that's him. Yeah. Nice going, Frank. Yeah. He had us out to his house in Connecticut. Him and his husband, just so you're aware... They greeted us with brunch, mm-hmm. a full-on homemade brunch it was fancy. before the interview. Yeah. And Frank is a huge Clue enthusiast and had one whole room, I swear to you, one whole room dedicated to Clue. <laughs> He's awesome. I just want to live with Frank for the rest of my life. So between Frank and Michael, thanks for the hey, swag. Thanks for the swag. Thanks, everybody. Hint, hint to future guests. <laughs> to future guests. You're doing us a favor, so oh, give us God. shit. Um, have you used your back scratcher? Well, you texted me. Oh, like yeah. A... I was in rehearsal because Rob and I are doing Merrily We Roll Along right now at New York Film Academy where the Rob's directing and I'm music directing with our students. Uh, and yes, I was in rehearsal and I had a little itch and 
wouldn't you know, I had a back scratcher. I could use it to get that itch. You, Rob was using his back scratcher to comb his beard. Yes. Yes. Well, also, you, you also texted me at one in the morning to say you can't stop using the back scratcher. Did I? Yeah, you texted me at one in the morning to say, <laughs> I can't stop using the back scratcher. <laughs> oh, that's because Sutton, yeah, Sutton was at the Lady Gaga concert, and I was uh, watching clips of stuff online, as you do. Oh, my God. Okay, so were any of those clips your favorite thing this oh, week? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, yes, You reach Rob. for the gun. All right. Uh, <laughs> are you ready? Yes. I'm really excited about this one. And one of our listeners, Robbie Roselle, is going to be even more excited. And Robbie, you already know. You already know too, okay. don't you, Rob? No, I don't. I just want to say something really quickly about Robbie Roselle, who's one of the best guests we've ever had. He's so nice. He's doing that Songs Inside My Locker show, mm-hmm. the one he did a while ago that we saw. A reprise. He's doing it again in October, I believe, at Feinstein's 54 Below. But I found this out, ladies and gentlemen. This has been like my holy grail because I think you know by this point I really like impressions. I love people who can do impressions. Really, I can't do them. Yeah. Oh, Rob, I think our I listeners really, would beg to differ. I really, since you no. seem to do them they, all the time. They all, well, they all sound pretty much the same. I They're love just them. Variations on a theme. Sure. And 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 I the more obscure the impression, the more excited I get. Like the more turned right, like on the I plane, get. I'm the gonna, plane. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, who does Hervé Villachez? I nobody. Robbie does an impression, a dead on impression. Of Gwen Verdon. No, of Gwen Verdon. Oh, man. He does Gwen Verdon. Roxy Hart. Um, and he does Gwen Verdon in, in Woody Allen's Alice. And he does Gwen Verdon in Marvin's Room. Oh, he's got specific Gwen Verdon. <laughs> yeah, it's not like it's not like if you're going to do a Gwen Verdon impression, it's like, oh, she's going to sing Roxy or right. sing like or whatever Charity. Lola yeah. wants. It's literally Gwen Verdon Marvin's Room. in a movie that three people saw, <laughs> one of them being Robbie, one of them being Gwen Verdon, the other one being me. <laughs> So, oh, that's so anyway, oh so anyway, there, there's that. My <laughs> apologies. Okay, um, so what is your favorite thing that well, Robbie Rizal already knows? Well, this thing that Robbie will be really happy about. Uh, this is a, you know what's interesting? We've had, we've talked about the sequels to a lot of musicals on our on our podcast. We have, we? we you have. Know, we talked about uh, Bring Back Birdie, the sequel to, to Bye Bye Birdie. We talked about Annie Warbucks, the sequel to Annie. You know, I don't think we're going to talk about the sequel to um, Of the Icing, which is Let Him Eat Cake. I doubt we're going to talk about Love Never Dies, the sequel to Phantom of the Opera. Although, you never know. You never know. You never know. We might run out of favorite things. <laughs> but um, this is a sequel to a, the other sequel to a musical. Now, wait a minute. Yes. I'm trying to guess in my head, and I, 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 I'm ooh, trying to ooh, think. Good. Listeners, have you thought of the other sequel to a musical? It's, it's, I can't think of any other musical. I've named them all. Okay, so we have, it's Annie 2. Yep, Annie 2, uh, or, or Miss Hannigan's Revenge, right. or Annie Warbucks, because they retooled it, as we know. Yeah. Uh, they um, bring back Birdie, bring Let Him Eat Cake, and Love Never Dies, and there's another one. Uh, oh, boy. This and is again... Just like all the other sequels, it's is really this... hard to catch fire twice. Is that the phrase? It's really hard yeah. to 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 because it, it usually these sequels happen years after the original. You know, is like this... twenty years. Okay, now wait a minute. I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm I'm gonna get really obscure, and I don't know if this is right. When I was on the reading committee for Nymph, uh-huh. we had a Fiddler on the Roof sequel go by. Nope. That's not nope. it. Which was one of the worst. no. This played Broadway. This was on Broadway. This was on as Broadway. Well. The original played for seventeen hundred performances or so, and this played for twenty eight. <laughs> I I'm you're gonna, try- you're gonna, and the minute I tell you, you're gonna be like, I think everybody forgot it played in the nineties. I'll tell you, it was nineteen ninety four, May tenth at the Lunt. Oh, and oh, I know what it, you is. Know what it is. Yeah, what I'm is so, it? Damn it, Rob! Damn it! Damn it! Damn it! It's the best little whorehouse goes public. The best little whorehouse goes public. That's oh, right. Damn it, Rob! Miss Mona's back. 
<laughs> She's in Vegas this time. So let me, I know, I know Rob's so mad right now. You guys, it was the same exact creative team as Best Little Whorehouse, uh, Best Little Whorehouse of Texas, right? Yeah. Um, and it was Carol Hall who did the music and lyrics. Tommy Toon and uh, Masterson did the, uh, were directing it. Masterson was, did the book with um, Peter Masterson with uh, Larry King. Um, it was, uh, it starred, uh, back then it was, it had a different actors because it was in the seventies. Now we're in the nineties. Now you had a D Hody playing Mona. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And re- really quickly in the original production, just for people to know the actors that they used were not really singers. Right. They were not, they were, they were really primarily actors. It was Henderson Forsyth and Carlin Glynn, yes. who I think was married to one of the, I think Peter Masterson. I Could think be. they were married at the time, maybe, still married. Anyway, but I, and so right. it's so interesting. But in the sequel, they're not using actors; they're using musical theater performers. The, and it became a uh, a full camp fest. So let me give you a little rundown of of what the um, uh, what the story was. Let's get this. So the prologue is actually based on truth. Uh, it's basically it all happens in the opening number, which I will talk about in a little bit because that, t- that opening number is so amazing and it's so it's so good bad. It's just it's it's fascinating. Um, but basically, um, there's a man who starts a brothel in Vegas and he makes it legal to have because he wants to let the women make a lot more money instead of working on the street. So he starts um, a ranch, the Stallion Ranch, um, and uh, and he St- Stallion Fields, my bad, uh, and he. Which is supposed to be like the Mustang Ranch. Exactly. And, yeah. and so he, all in the prologue, he builds it up, does it all, makes lots and lots of money, and then um, runs off with the money because the IRS wants to get paid. Because you just can't make money in America. The I, they have sing a whole song about it. So he goes off, and now the IRS is out, is out of that money. So the IRS has to, wants to make up for that money. So that's all in the prologue, and that was based on truth. And then well, the rest of the musical is the IRS is going to try to recover that $26 million in back taxes. So what they decide to do is uh, invest in this whorehouse in Texas. They have one of their people go out and find Miss Mona, who is really a famous madam in Texas. And they, they convince her to come and take over this this whorehouse in uh, in Vegas, um, and so Miss Mona sings a whole song about traveling to to Vegas and talks about all. It's a patter song where she talks about all the towns of Texas, and then she goes to Vegas and she's of course uh, her old love uh, life, not the sheriff, but her old you know uh, love of her life comes and helps her, and it's his idea that hey, why don't we go legit? Let's go public, meaning people can buy shares of the whorehouse so that then they can make their money back. Uh, Of course, there's a right-wing, you know, politician who is all against this and it's all fire and brimstone. His name is Harry (laughs) Hardast. And, uh, and of course, there's, there's a court scene and, of course, you know, Miss Mona outwits him at the very end and then, and then, she decides to run for president to be the first madam. Get it? Wow. (laughs) So as you can tell, we are have a f- foot firmly in the camp. I think it really is more of a satire. I don't, but I do not think that audiences in the '90s recognized that this was a satire at all. I think in the '70s you could get away with a lot of that. I mean, literally, one of the lyrics in the opening number was something like, um, "I want to see a girl in something twirling." Get it, girlin' twirling, and yeah, by a, as it. in. Tassels. tassels. Yeah. So Bob Mackie did the costumes, and <gasps> evidently everyone was half naked. It was, people equated it to a Vegas show. 
if you know what I mean. Yeah. And it was a real, it was a huge camp fest. The critics slammed it. I'll give you an example of some of the numbers. So the opening number is, uh, I want to go, uh, let's go back to Vegas. Oh, let the devil take us. We'll go back to Vegas. Get that rhyme? Yeah. Great rhyme. I like it, though. Vegas, take <laughs> us. <laughs> but it's so catchy. And Peter Matz, the great Peter Matz, did all of the orchestrations and arrangements. It is, it, the, the when you listen to this, it is, it feels like the stepsister of Best Little Whorehouse, the original. Mm. And yet, it's fun and campy and Vegasy. Um The critics hated it. I think because they were, it was the 90s and they you had the British invasion and you just weren't used to what this was. Absolutely. And I don't think, I, I don't think anyone, and I think Tommy Toon and, Tom, incidentally, Tommy Toon and Jeff Calhoun, who did the choreography, were working on Greece at the exact same time. They opened within a day of each other. What? Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Same year. They were doing, really? Were, yes. Literally both at the same time. That's fascinating. Fascinating, right? So you wonder, like, which one do they put most of their energy in? Um, there I was think a, we know. There, so in order to go legit, yeah, in order to go legit, they there was a whole song called "Call Me," which is about the women doing a phone sex uh, song. This is very topical in the nineties, right? And so the production number was a bunch of schlubby men who were standing around the television sets. Inside the television set were these half-dressed women singing about Call Me and all the double entendre that goes with that, and them, you know, talking about with in so uncertain terms, you know, how big they are, and da-da-da, and they're all just like these sloppy men. And then the, one of the reviews said that they didn't know who, who got a worse rap in this, you know, the women or the men, because they're pretty much everyone's looking pretty horrible in this. Yeah. But it's catchy. And they, they had impersonators. They had a comedian there. They had Siegfried and Roy, who was played by one actor. They were just split down the middle. Oh, that's I'm funny. I'm Roy, you know. That's funny. Side. I think I would like to hear from our listeners if anybody saw it, what you thought of it. Was it as was it as horrible as the critics said it was? Because the album, it's kind of fun. So uh, we, we should get D. Hody, who played the lead on oh, the show. Oh, most definitely. If Most not Tommy Toon. Oh, we have to go for Tommy Toon, too. Or Jeff. Why don't we just ask, why don't we do a Whorehouse Goes Public oh, man. episode? I, I would love to just talk about why, how this came, you know. The, the, go, if you read some of these reviews, they were, the, the Variety Review is one of the worst reviews I've ever read. I mean, they oh, were really? vicious to it. You know what I don't like about sequels? What? Um, that, that vastly change. Like, for example, in Whorehouse... Were we really... Well, no, hold on. Maybe I'm going to take a step back. Nope, I'm thinking of the movie version. I'm not thinking of the musical version. Oh, right. In, in the musical version, uh, Miss Mona and the sheriff, who are love interests, right. don't end up together, which is very much like real life. Yeah. But the movie, they do. And that's what I was going to say, which is, like, I, I don't like when we root for a couple in the beginning and they finally get together and then in the sequel... They've split up for no, some sure reason. No, sure, not even in this one either. See, but that makes so me sad. I, I like. I, I wa- That's what I would want. Yeah. I would. I would go. Why aren't you with the sheriff? Right. If you're going to be a sequel, uh, now you can be with the right. sheriff. Interesting. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. I don't oh, know. Yeah. That just that just that bothers oh, me a little you, bit. You want like a through line. You want to. I want a through line, yeah. and I've invested. Because you're a director. Rob. Um, well, you know what? This is going to be a horrible example. Did you ever see the movie Ted? No. Seth MacFarlane's Ted. Oh, with the stuffed animal. Yeah, but in the, in I the probably did I blocked it. It's out. very funny, but in the first, it's all about Ted, the, Seth MacFarlane. No, who's the character? Mark Wahlberg and his love interest, mm-hmm. and wanting them to be together, and they finally get together in the end. And then in the sequel, you're like, "Where's the love interest?" And he's like, "Oh, she left me." 
I'm like, we we invested like, so much. Right like, you can't do that to us. Yeah, it's hard for us. Yeah. So fix that and change that. Well, when best Sorry. little else goes public is revived, we'll work on that. Wonder who, who, with who with they with, with Audra and Will Swenson. It will never get to done. do it. Uh, no, I would. It's going to be someone like someone country or someone like like Laura Bell Bundy or something like that. I feel. Shoot, I think I know somewhere that's doing it and it hasn't been announced. Really? I think, yeah. I would be, I imagine whenever someone calls like up MTI or whoever has those rights, they're like, wait, are you public? Are you, are you sure? Public, not, are you sh- not in Texas? Are you sure? You sure? <laughs> Made a mistake? The castles twirling, girls in something really? twirling. Okay, okay great. Have All right. fun. All right, Morty. Well, but you someone guys, needs a tax write off. <laughs> Send them the parts. Maurice. It's a fun listen, though. It, the, the album is fun. Um, you're tapping your toes. You're having a good time. I'd say give it a try. Is it on any of your favorite Spotify's, you know, Apple I Music, iTunes, or YouTube? I have not checked, and I shall. No, but it's I, not. It's not on Spotify because I had to. I had to get out the old iPod uh, and listen to it with the other phone headphones that but I. But I know it, they made a CD of it. Oh yeah, no, no. That's so bizarre to me that a show oh, yeah. would run so for such a small amount of time. And the liner notes are great on that CD because Peter Matz who did the, the orchestrations, when do you have the orchestrator and the music director doing your liner notes? He did them, and he's such a love letter to the show, you would never think that this show was a bomb. He is. Mm. He, he calls out, oh, the beautiful set design on Bob Mackey's costumes with the tassels, and oh, it's so beautiful. And, and then he says, I don't want to give away the ending, because he writes, he writes, because high school productions might do this, and I don't want to ruin it for them. A high school produ- production doing Best Little Horals in Vegas no. where the girls are half naked. They're singing a song about phone sex. Guys, it's Peter, <laughs> not, uh, not going to happen. That's right after the middle school does <laughs> Oh, Calcutta for everybody. <laughs> I don't, yeah, where are you going to high school? What high school are you oh, going man. to? High school of hard knocks. That's right. Um, or maybe maybe Stage Door Manor will do it. Oh, no, they, they probably would. That children's theater does a lot of like... <laughs> Like heavy God. stuff. I love that movie Camp. My name is Tommy. I'm 10, and I'm the sailor in Hello Again. <laughs> it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> All right, Rob. What's your uh, what's your favorite thing today? Oh my gosh. Okay, so actually, going back a little bit, talking about our good friend Frank Fravor. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I I love is uh, poster design, graphic design. Oh yeah. Because I I find it so absolutely fascinating how you are supposed to boil a show's essence to one central image, yeah. and that central image has to capture the um, the imaginations and hopefully the wallets of 
potential ticket buyers. It's your first impression. Literally your first impression of a show. And it's you're absolutely Other right. Other than the title, but, yeah, but what you hear. But then when you see that, that is it. That's your first impression. But let's be honest. I mean, you're, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, look at Book of Mormon. You see that doorbell before you even see the title. Exactly. You see the lion's head before you even see the Lion King. So, And I think we talked about this with Frank. And if you haven't listened to the interview with Frank that we did, it, he's really fascinating. Oh, we can post it again. He's, he's, he's great. And his husband was making those baked goods. Do you remember that? The husband oh, was, yeah. i got to check in to see if how that's going because I want to buy some. Yeah, it's been over a year. It's yeah. been over a year. So I'm ready for some baked goods because they were so good when he made them. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. Priorities. I digress, as does my waistline. Um, so anyway, the... Uh, one of the things that just came out of the New York Times was this really fascinating article about how they settled on the Frozen poster. Did you see that? I did. I did, yes. And they showed all the ones that didn't make the yeah. cut, right? and what they liked about it and what they didn't like about each poster. And I'm like, this is so fascinating. And I think that process is so interesting. Um, and I thought to myself, I wish there was more of that. Mm. And I realized there is. There's lots of great books on different graphic designs and, and poster making and all that stuff. But there's one artist who, as uh, in addition to Frank, whose work I really, really love. And that's a guy named James McMullen. And James McMullen is the poster designer for all, yes, all of the productions that are at Lincoln, Lincoln Center, Center Theater. Yes, those beautiful, colorful, uh, right? rounded shapes. Yes. Uh, yes. So, so you wow. might, I'm trying to think of like, fam- so anyway, I have a clock in my house. I think we've talked about this before, that it's, it's a playbill clock. And um, each number in the title of the playbill corresponds to what time it's supposed to be. So, for example, for 1 o'clock, there's a playbill from Act 1. For 2, two Shakespearean actors. Taking a picture. Et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I noticed that a majority of the poster graphic work is the work of James McMullen from Lincoln Center. Um, and thank God he actually wrote a book called The Theater Posters of James McMullen. Well, and that's my favorite thing for this week. Good one, Rob. The... Um, the uh, the po- the book itself is uh, it was published a few years ago and it only goes up to about the mid nineties or so or I'm sorry about the the early two thousands or so and uh, in it he goes through about forty or fifty of his favorite poster designs and discusses the process of what was uh, what was liked by the director what was not liked by the playwright what actors had approval and he also shows you sketches of how the poster came to gestation uh, or through the gestation process it is so absolutely unique and fascinating and i encourage anyone who does marketing especially for theater at community theaters, colleges, whatever, pick up a copy of this book because the intelligence that he brings to how he comes up with an image is so fascinating. Some of his most fascinating ones that we probably know is there's that very famous Anything Goes one that was from the 88 revival where, like, Patti LuPone's, like, looking over her shoulder or the graphic image of Patti LuPone is looking over her shoulder on the cruise ship. There's the parade one with Leo Frank looking out the window. Oh, right. So so once you see his work... You go, oh, yeah, I know who that guy is. But he does all of the graphic work for Lincoln Center. How long do you know how long he's Since been doing Since 1985. That's, that's incredible. The dedication that Lincoln Center has to, to using his work and, and making that really their image. Well, when you see that aesthetic, then you can say, oh, it's a Lincoln Center production, right. which is really great. And, right. I mean, his, I, I think he wrote a sequel, and I hope he actually writes – what, what's, what's the third? A trilogy? A trilogy. Uh, good, Rob. Thank you. <laughs> it took me a while on that one. <laughs> um, because his work is so fascinating. But for him to discuss um, 
how he came up with the images for uh, Anything Goes and the House of Blue Leaves and all of these, uh, 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 a parade, uh, Act One, uh, which is a beautiful, it's one that's right up there, which is a really, really beautiful oh, yeah, design. Um, he goes into such incredible detail. And what I find so fascinating is this, so often he's designing these images Way before anyone goes into rehearsal. Indeed. So he has to find, before a director, before a designer, before anybody, the central image to relate to an audience before anything has even been created in a rehearsal room. And they have to look, exactly, and they have to look good in a small ad. They have to look good on the playbill. And those things get blown up huge in Lincoln Center. You're absolutely right. So think, think, massive poster. Right. In my newspaper, and it has to be equally compelling in black and white. Yeah. If you're if you're doing newspaper, it has to be aesthetically pleasing in an online banner ad. So think of all those things that go into it. So anyway, the book, the theater posters of James McMullen, um, and I'm going to show. We Kevin. should talk to him. I would love to talk to him. We should get him. But you see, Kevin, and we'll post a picture of this. But this is this oh, is what I'm talking. R- that, oh that famous yes, one. of course. And. I- and I, I never really see Patty Lapone when I look yes, at that, but I get it now. Well, in the book, do you know who this is? No, it's his neighbor, and Aww. he just he just grabbed her and he's like, "Hey, can you just like pose over the hood of my car?" And then I know, wow. and then he got, then <laughs> and then he uh, he put a yacht in or a wow. cruise ship in where the the car was. That's a great picture. There's also the very famous carousel. Oh, with, right, with, that uh, he's holding the... With, with uh, Billy Bigelow yeah. straddling the two carousel horses. So anyway, it's a really fantastic book. You can totally buy it on uh, on Amazon. But he goes in such depth, and the beauty um, of which the, the graphic illustrations are done, and he shows you, like, original ideas for different mm-hmm. posters and stuff. It's really fascinating. So Whoa. once again, it's the theater posters of James... Mc- oh, he did the Hello, oh, hello Again. Hello Again. I the love The very that famous Hello, hello Again. Again one. Um, and a little bit of trivia for you, my friends. We yeah. might have talked about this on another podcast, but uh, I'm going to spill the beans here. Um, the parade poster, yeah. which we will post a picture of. And I'm sure you've seen it before. It's the, it's the image of Leo Frank looking out the window while a Confederate parade passes by, mm-hmm. right? Um, hmm. the act, okay, so look closely at the image of Leo Frank. It's actually modeled on a real person. Is it? Yes. It's modeled on the actor who was supposed to play Leo Frank, but then did not play Leo Frank. We know that Brent Carver did it amazingly and wonderfully, but who was cast as Leo Frank and who is the poster designed around, but then did not do the production? Was it Matthew Broderick? No. Uh, yes, it was Matthew. Broderick. It's Matthew Broderick. So if you, well, look, I'm sorry, I ruined no, no, the no, whole, no, 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 no. That's oh. fine. You can you look at the poster and you'll be like, that's Matthew Broderick. He was supposed to be Leo Frank. Oh wow! There's a little trivia for you all. I guess too. Um, but anyway, so um, so I really wanted to celebrate um, James's work because I think he's absolutely fascinating. And you're right, we should get him on the podcast. But like I said, I think it's also great if you're a director if you're a producer or if you're a marketing director, to read the book to see how best to talk to designers and get things going. One of the most, I won't give anything away, but one of the most fascinating chapters in there is the Waiting for Gatto poster he did mm. for, uh, it was the Robin Williams, Steve Martin production with Mike Nichols 
directed. Can you imagine seeing that? And how Mike Nichols and him collaborated on the poster and what worked and what didn't. It's a really fantastic book. And like I said, you can get it really cheap on Amazon. I think he's, there's a sequel, and I hope that he does a trilogy oh. because his work... He's, I mean, think how much he still does. Think how much he still does. So it's really, really Every incredible. Season. Every That's season. Amazing. Every season. So mine was the theater posters of James McMullen. Wow, and mine was the best little whorehouse goes public. Alright, take a look to both, and we will talk to you all next week. Soon. Bye. Bye. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens, brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favorite things. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.